Okay, so reading at verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you'd faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. I've called this message, you must forgive. And I want to answer two questions. Why should we forgive? And how should we forgive? The first question is kind of pretty obvious to all of us. You know, Jesus said, sin is sure to come. In fact, the word in the Greek is, Impossible. It is impossible for sin not to come. In other words, sin is a sure thing. It is certain. We're going to hurt each other. The only promise that I made to my wife when we got engaged is, I will let you down. Sin is certain. We know that. Broken friendships, broken families, are no more important than in the church. The people who are closest to us are the people that we hurt the most. We're going to hurt each other. The second thing, the second reason why we should forgive is that sin is serious. Did you feel the weight of that story? That man sinking deep to the bottom of the sea, dragged down by a millstone tied to his neck. His family can't even bury his body. That's a serious, serious, gruesome picture that Jesus is telling us. And yet Jesus says, it's better for you to die like that than to cause somebody to sin or if they hurt you to not forgive them. This is serious stuff. This is weighty stuff. And it doesn't matter how small those sins are. Because little things cause little changes in us. You know, if somebody... Oh, but you've done the same thing. Or, you know, if somebody hurts you, you take a step back and you, you get rather defensive and you think, oh, how can I get back at them? Or, you know, and over time, when we're hurt, we can, if we don't deal with it properly, distance ourselves. We can become detached.
to stumble, yeah, cut it off. Simple, simple solution. Jesus said, it's better for you to limp into heaven than to jump with both feet into hell. This is serious stuff. This is really, really serious. A millstone is heavy. The cross that Jesus carried up the hill was heavy. His body hanging on the cross was heavy. So heavy that as he pulled on the nails in order to breathe, he felt the heaviness of his own body. And then with his last breath say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They thought they were crucifying somebody who claimed to be the Son of God. What they didn't know is they were crucifying somebody who was the Son of God. When people hurt us, sometimes they don't know that they've hurt us. So, how do we forgive? We realize it's important. I'm not saying this is easy. But I think as we look at this passage, um, I can see at least three steps that it would be helpful to take in forgiving somebody. And um, I know that I've got a lot of things that I need to get right in my life because I thought I'd forgiven people when in actual fact I've not followed these steps at all. Okay, so three steps. The first step, um, and it comes first because they think there's an order to these three steps. We need to do them if we can in this order. It also comes first because I think this step is the most important in forgiving. And it's a two-word phrase in the Greek. Jesus just simply says, watch yourselves, full stop. Pay attention to yourselves. Look in the mirror. See your own faults. Am I jumping to conclusions? Have I ever done the same myself? Maybe it was my fault. And they just retaliated. And I feel hurt because of what they did, but they were just reacting to my fault. Do I need to say sorry? You know, Luke, Jesus told that story in, in, in Luke 6, and he? he said, before you um, help your friend with their little fault, that little speck of dust in their eye, before you do that, take the plank out of your own eye. Okay? We don't see the size of our own faults because we're looking at the little tiny faults of others. So first, Jesus says, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to take the little tiny speck out of your brother's eye. I'm going to read you something from C.S. Lewis, because he addresses this issue of pay attention to yourself. Now, C.S. Lewis, some of you will know, is a professor of medieval... Uh, English uh, literature, Christian apologetics, most famous for writing the Narnia Chronicles. And he writes 
this about this subject of paying attention to ourselves. And he's trying to answer the question that somebody asked him, does Christianity encourage morbid introspection? You know, navel-gazing is a really negative thing. Yeah? We need to be more outward-looking, more looking to the needs of others. And that's totally true. Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. This is so, so deep. Does Christianity encourage morbid introspection? The alternative is much more morbid. Those who do not think about their own sins make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. It's healthier to think of one's own. It's the reverse of morbid. It's not even, in the long run, very gloomy. You know, sometimes I think uh, my view on life should be I bumble through life and I hurt loads of people on the way and I'll, I'll just keep saying I'm sorry. In fact, I had a friend who used to uh, have sorry tokens, uh, little tickets, and uh, he said, I'm just going to give you this in advance, just in case I hurt you. I'm sorry. Because sometimes we don't know that we've hurt each other. It's not even in the long run very gloomy. A serious attempt to repent and really know one's own sins is in the long run a lightening and relieving process. Of course there's bound to be a first dismay and often terror and later great pain, yet that is much less in the long run than the anguish of a mass of unrepented and unexamined sins lurking in the background of our minds. It's the difference between the pain of the tooth about which you should go to the dentist and the simple, straightforward pain which you know is getting less and less every moment when you've had the tooth out. So pay attention to yourselves. The most important and the first thing that we should do before we take the next step, which is, if your brother sins, rebuke him. In other words, go and talk to them about it. Have a discussion. You know, if you've been hurt, they may not be aware of it. They may be aware of it. But if you can, go and talk, talk to them about it. Go and tell them. It'll be good for you, it'll be good for them, and it'll be good for others. It may make them aware of something that they've done that they can avoid doing in the future. You make the first move. Don't stand with your arms folded saying, you know, they've hurt me. I'll wait, till they, I'll wait till they come and say they're sorry. No, you make, you make the first move. God made the first move. Romans 5, 8 says, Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So go and talk to them about it. Obviously, if it's safe to do so, sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you need to take a friend. But it is important to talk about hurt. Uh, it's the first step that you can make in repairing a relationship. I love it how Peter, in his 
first sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's talking about Jesus. And he says, this Jesus, who you crucified and killed. And what did they do? They repented. They said, what, what, what we did was wrong. We're sorry. What do, we, what do we do next? Now, some of you may be saying, well, I've, I've, I've ha- what if I can't talk to them about it? Well, don't worry about it. Um, it may not be safe to do that. We've already addressed that. It may not be possible to do that if they don't want to talk to you. Um, they may not be here anymore. They may be dead. So this step is a helpful step before the final step, but it's not, you have to do this, otherwise you can't move to the next step. And the next step is simply forgive. Jesus says, go and talk to your, your brother about it. Uh, if he says he's sorry, forgive him. And if he keeps on hurting you, and he does it seven times in a day, and after every time he says sorry, you must forgive him. But it doesn't sound like he's very sorry to me because he keeps on doing the same thing. No, don't worry about that. Give him the benefit of the doubt. You must forgive. The onus is on you to forgive, not on them to be really, really sorry. But let them know what they're doing. So, we must forgive... Those who don't know, those who don't say sorry, those who do say sorry, but they're probably not sorry. And this applies to even the most severe forms of sin. So if you think about abuse, where it's a recurrent behavior, where somebody's hurting another person over and over and over again, and that person who's doing the hurt doesn't even think they're doing anything wrong we still must forgive them. Jesus says, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. Well, blessing means we wish well for other people. We don't hold grievances against them. We forgive them. We want the best for them. And these are people who are cursing you. These are your enemies. They're hurting you repeatedly and they're not sorry about it. We must bless them. We must forgive them. Wow. So the apostles' reaction to that is, you know, who can do that? This is really difficult, isn't it? We would need a huge amount of faith. Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus says, well, you know, if you had a tiny little bit of faith about the side of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted, you mulberry tree, and go and get planted in the sea. And it would obey you. I think there's something about the concept of forgiving. We just have to do it. It's a choice, it's an action, and it's an act of obedience. Jesus says, forgive, it's a command. We need to obey. When we take that step, the tree will obey, you know. And, and if that 
If that isn't enough, Jesus goes on to give us an illustration of the duty of obedience between a servant and his master. So he tells this little parable called the parable of the unworthy servants with three rhetorical questions. If you've got a servant and they come in, will you ask them to sit down at the table and eat a meal with you? Answer, no. Second rhetorical question. Uh, He says, prepare supper for me and dress properly and uh, serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink, question mark. Yeah, that's right. That's how it works when you're a servant and a master. Third rhetorical question. Does he thank the servant because he did what was, he was commanded? Answer, no. Commentators say it is really, really difficult for us in our culture to get our heads around this little parable because we don't really have this idea of a servant and, and masters. And they say that even employers and employers Employees don't really cut the mustard for understanding this. And I thought about my work in the NHS. And I thought, well, you know, in the NHS, maybe it's, it's a little bit like this because when people say thank you, which they do from time to time, we kind of say, well, you're welcome, but it's what we're here for. We're just doing our job. Yeah? Now, obviously, in COVID, we've had this national thank you NHS campaign because the NHS have gone over and above their normal duty. You know, it's extreme circumstances. They've been pushed to the limit, and no wonder the, co- the country want to say thank you, NHS. But that won't continue forever because, you know, we, we're just doing our job. And even that doesn't cut it. And then I thought of another example. Way back in the day, I used to work in the military. And in the military, as a soldier, if my commanding officer said to me something like... Um, Strip your weapon, clean it, and put it back together with your eyes closed. Um, I I would do that, and I would try and do it to the best of my ability to please my commanding officer uh, as fast as I can to to show him that I've got the skills, because this is really serious, this is important. There may be lives at stake if I can't get this right. And after I've done it, and the officer inspects, he might say, well done. But what he won't say is, oh, thanks for doing that. Uh, That's not right, is it? That's absurd. We're we're just doing our duty. And the point that Jesus is making here about forgiveness is forgiveness is the ordinary, everyday duty of a Christian. It's nothing special. doesn't need applause. It's what we should be doing all the time, you know, It's just what we do. It's just what we do. But we don't do it without help. We take the first step of examining ourselves. We take the next step of going and talking and trying to repair the relationship. And then the third step is we do that dutiful response to the command, forgive. You must forgive. But there's a lovely, lovely little passage in uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians that unpacks the help that God gives us when we do our duty. He says this in Philippians 2. As you have always obeyed, 
Obeyed, get that, we're doing our duty. So now, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Just think of the millstone. Just think of the damage that happens when we don't work it out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But remember, it's God who works in you as you do it. Both to will, in other words, give you the desire to want to do it. You know, I think I can forgive them, but I don't feel like it. I don't feel like I forgive them. Well, this is telling us that if we do it, God will get the desires will come. It may come a little while later. It may take time before we feel the feelings of forgiveness. And to work for his good pleasure. So in other words, the power to actually do it as we take the first step, God will help us with. Really, really important point to grasp about forgiveness. Forgiveness primarily will heal your wounds if you follow these steps. Yeah, You won't be bitter. Um, you will live lighter, more loving. But it won't always heal relationships. Why? Because to heal a broken relationship requires two people to come together. Yeah? So you do your bit by stepping to them, talking, and forgiving. But unless they do their bit, the relationship will still be broken, even though you've forgiven them. Yeah? When we ask God to forgive us, he does what only he can do. When we forgive others, we do what only we can do. And this relationship between our forgiving others and God forgiving us is kind of all wrapped up, isn't it, in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who've sinned against us. It starts with, forgive us our sins. It starts with this remembering our own faults and flaws, examining ourselves. Pay attention to yourselves. You see, we do our bit to reconcile a relationship so that we don't have any regrets. For the relationship to be repaired, the other person has to do their bit as well. So that's why Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. In other words, you do your bit, they will need to do their bit to mend the relationship. And the very next verse says, never avenge yourselves. In other words, don't take revenge. Don't hold a grudge. Don't hold the hurt against them. Forgive them. Let go. Trust God will bring, work out justice in the end. Okay? And it goes on to say, you know, for it is written, vengeance is mine, says God. You know, God is the one who settles the debts ultimately in the end, not us. 
And that's why when Jesus died on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them, the next thing he said as he took his last breath was something very, very profound. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. In other words, I give this situation to you. I give this person to you who's, who's hurt me. Um, I don't hold a grudge. I don't try and get even. Peter, when he wrote about these words that Jesus said, I commit my spirit into your hand, he, he, he put it like this in 1 Peter 2. He said very simply about Jesus dying on the cross, taking his last breath and uttering those words, Father, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. He writes in 1 Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, when he was mocked on the cross, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, God is the final judge, not us. And finally, for those of you who are thinking, well, it was a really, really, really big hurt and I'm not sure if I can ever forgive and if I, even if I can, I certainly will never forget. Forgiveness isn't really forgetting, you know, when we've been hurt and we deal with that hurt in the right way, the wounds will heal, but we keep the scars. We don't ever completely forget. And Jesus kept the scars. And sometimes I wonder, you know, why did Jesus keep the scars after the resurrection? You know, why, when he came back to life with a new body and he ascended into heaven, why did he keep the scars? And I think it's not so much a reminder of what our sin did to him, but of what he did to our sins. Paul puts it like this in Colossians 2. God forgave our sin by nailing it to the cross. Jesus has scars too. Forgiving isn't forgetting. Does God forget our sins? Now, where did I put their sins? Oh. God knows exactly where he put our sins. Job has a wonderful little phrase. He says, you won't keep watch over my sin. You'll seal it up in a bag. What does that mean? It goes in the trash, doesn't it? God knows where our sin is. It's in the trash. It goes in a bag. And what happens to the trash? It gets thrown out, put on the rubbish heap, which is quite away from where I live. How far? We read it this morning, didn't we? Uh, 
Lillian, you read Psalm 103. It tells us how far the trash bag is. As far as the east is from the west. How far is that? Oh, um, it's about, it's roughly infinity. That's a long way. Sin can distance us from God. But God will distance our sin from us. This is a weighty, this is a serious subject, but it's also very, very joyful, very releasing. When we learn to examine our own hearts, when we learn to talk to other people about hurt, when we learn to forgive, it, 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 we're so much lighter. Life, life becomes easier. We've got nothing to fear anymore. We're not held down by the burden of guilt. I'll finish with this. Um, I think, or I imagine, when we meet Jesus, I don't think he will stand with his arms folded and say, like some of us have said, I forgive you. No, I, I think Jesus will stand with his arms open and I think he'll be smiling and I think he will say, look, look, See the scars? You are forgiven. Come and join the party. Thank you, Simon. Let's, uh, let's respond to that.